Good morning. We welcome those of you downstairs in our traditional sanctuary. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you all for being here. Again, we welcome those of you in our modern sanctuary, those of you online listening to our podcast. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. Uh, we are South Park Church, and our vision is to help people live life to the full with Jesus. And we believe in three core values that help us do that. The first is that life is all about relationships. Relationships are the most important thing in life. The secret of life is relationships with God and with each other. We believe in transformation, which means God meets us where we are and helps us become who we were created to be. Who did God create you to be. We also believe in generosity, that we have everything in our lives because of God and God's goodness. And we are created in God's image, and God is generous, which makes us generous in our DNA with our time and our talent and our treasure. And that's how we try to seek to help people live life to the full with Jesus. So thanks for being here today and being a part of this. Uh, we are in the Christian season of Lent. That's the 40-day period that is ahead of Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And the season of Lent is a time for us to take some time and be reflective about our relationship with God and our relationship with people. And a good question that we ask ourselves is, how is it with my soul? How is it with your soul, brother and sisters? Uh, and so that's something that we're doing. And our sermon series is called In a Different Light. And we're trying to think about how we see God in our lives. And could we see God in a different light? Because I believe that we do see God in our lives, but I think that there's more to God than meets the eye. There's more to God than what our brains can process. And so we're going to talk about how we can kind of open ourselves to see God in new and different ways during this series. And so uh, grateful to have you be a part of this. Uh, one of our core uh, uh, scripture passages for this series is from the book of Psalms 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see. I just invite you to pray that at least once a day during this season of Lent. God, open my eyes. I want to see you. I want to see who you are and what that looks like. I want to see you in my life, in the life of my family, in my work, in school, and in the world, in the community. Open my eyes that I may see. Uh, we're going to be looking at some things from a Catholic priest named Richard Rohr who uh, talks about living a contemplative life. What does it mean to do that? The word contemplate means to observe carefully to pay close attention, to take a long, loving look at the real. How many times are we going through our lives sleepwalking and we, we go past all these amazing things that God has for us and, and miss seeing God and God's blessings because we're just not focused or paying attention to God who is everywhere around us. So that's kind of what we're focusing on uh, over the next 40 days. And so thanks for being here and being a part of that. Um, I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago that my son Luke just recently got his driver's license. He's 16, and, and there was a lot of work that went into that. He had to log 60 hours driving in a car. Like when I was growing up and got my license, I didn't have to do that. Just go take a test. Here's your license. Go out and drive, right? So evidently that didn't work out really well for a lot of people, uh, for insurance companies. And so now we're training our kids to do a better job. So we had to have 60 hours behind the wheel and monitored and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and so that gave my wife, Laura, and me an opportunity to talk to Luke about our lessons learned from driving. And one of those lessons is the blind spot. Everybody knows about the blind spot, right? So the, you can be in a car and you have rear view uh, mirror, with a mirror, and you know, you've got the two side mirrors. You've got all the glass windows around the car. So there's a lot of things you can see. But you can have a 40-ton Mack truck right beside you and not see it. 
right? Isn't that right? Like 40-ton Mack trucks say, oh, Dad, there's, there's not a blind spot. Oh, yeah, look right there. Whoa, right? You know, like right beside you. If you don't want to look, right, and if you, if you, if you veer over into that blind spot, what's going to happen? Boom. Bad things, right? So I want you to think about today, just as we have blind spots in our car, could we have blind spots in our lives, right? Could you have a blind spot in your relationship with someone that you love very much? Could you have a, a blind spot uh, at work? Could you have a blind spot at school? Or a blind spot in the way that, that you're living your lives? Could you have emotional blind spots, intellectual blind spots, social blind spots? You know, sometimes it's hard to be self-aware. We think we know ourselves really well, uh, but we get caught up in ruts and, and routines. And sometimes we're just like we're driving down the, the highway, there's something right beside us that could be really dangerous or could be really good, but we don't know because we're not looking. What blind spots might be hindering you in your life? And could there be blind spots in our spiritual lives that God is around us and we're looking for God in all the wrong places? Could you have a spiritual blind spot in your life? So we're going to spend some time today in the Gospel of John with Jesus and Jesus is going to heal a man that was born blind. Now you talk about an amazing miracle. He's now an adult, and for his whole life he wasn't able to see. And now Jesus gives him his sight, which you would think would be this amazing miracle, and everyone be, would be supportive of this man, but that's not the case. So as we go through this story, I want you to pay attention to how people react to the man who's been given his sight, this amazing gift from Jesus. Let's see how people react. How do his neighbors react? How do his parents react? How do the religious leaders, the pastors of the day react? And how does the man himself react? And keeping in the back of our minds, what are our blind spots in life? All right, so let's go in to John 9. Uh, and we're going to read a little more scripture in the sermon than we usually do, but I think you're going to have fun with it, right? So as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There was a belief in Jesus' day that if something bad happened to you, it's because somebody sinned, right? Maybe your parents did, maybe you did, and, you know, and sometimes that's the case. We do something wrong, right? We cheat on our spouse, and then they decide to divorce us or whatever. We, that's a sin. We have to pay for that, but... Jesus is going to teach us that sometimes bad things happen and it's not anyone's fault, right? So the disciples are asking the theological question of the day, and Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. He didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong, right? But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I want to be careful with this translation. This does not mean that God caused a man to be blind his whole life just to teach a lesson, right? That'd be kind of cruel, wouldn't it, that this, this man wouldn't have sight for his whole life. What it means is that this man is blind, and because he's blind, it gives Jesus a chance to go to work, okay? So there's some uh, stuff going on behind the English in this translation. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is talking about the day being him being present on the earth. There's going to be a time when he's going to be gone from the earth, right, when he's killed. While I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. So let's get to work is what Jesus is saying. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. <laughs> right? Sound encouraging? Right? 
Jesus, could you heal me in any other way than hocking a loogie, right, in the dirt, right? But in Jesus' day, people believed that saliva, right, had like this healing uh, property, right? So that's kind of the, the way of the thing. But what, what I like about Jesus is like Jesus is a hands-on God, right? He's not sitting in a lounge chair on the planet of Saturn sipping Mai Tais, looking at the earth from long distance through his... Uh, closed circuit TV feed. Jesus is up close and personal. He left heaven to come to the earth to be a human being. He's going to heal and he's going to get hands dirty and he's going to touch us. Like Jesus is a hands-on God and I love that about him, right? So he spits in the mud, makes some mud, puts it on the guy's eye, right? And he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, this word means sent. This is kind of a play on words. Jesus is sent from God into the world. So Jesus is sending this blind man to a place called sent. Right? That's all intentional, all intentional. Uh, and so the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Now, can you imagine? He's never seen anything in his life. He does what Jesus says. He's got to be ecstatic. He's seeing people. He's seeing the sun. He's seeing whatever is out there. It's all brand new for him. A miracle has happened. The blind man has seen. Okay? His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging... Right? So evidently, being blind, he can't make a lot of money, so he's out. He can't work, so he's out begging. Right? It just, it's a tough situation. So they, they look at him and say, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Right? This is something big has happened. But some, some claim that he was. But others said, nah, he only looks like him. There's no way that that guy could see, right? No, no, it's not him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. I'm the one that was blind. I can see now. How then were your eyes open, they asked. Right? This, is a, this is a miracle. What happened? Tell us what's going on. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, and so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Right? So Jesus has kind of disappeared. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the Pharisees are religious leaders. They interpret the religious laws. You remember the Ten Commandments of Moses? They're really like 613 commands that the people are supposed to live by. And so the Pharisees help make sure people are doing the right thing. They sit on this big fancy council, but they also are active in everybody's life. And sometimes they can be meddling, uh, and so they're kind of busybodies, right? So they take the, take the guy to see the Pharisees to see what the religious leaders would think about this. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Right? If you remember your Old Testament rules, Ten Commandments, right? Oh, on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to work. You're supposed to rest, spend time with God. That's our version of that is Sunday, right? You're supposed to take the day off, spend it with God, right? So if Jesus did some work of healing someone's eyes, right, then the Pharisees are going to have an issue with this because Jesus shouldn't be doing any work on the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, talking about Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Right? If he's from God, he'd waited till the next day to heal the guy. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? Right? It's got to be God who healed the man. Right? So the Pharisees were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. 
They still do not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Right? So the man says, Jesus must be a prophet, a special person sent by God. Right? They still don't believe that, so let's ask the parents. Now, if you're the parents of the man who was born blind and he can see now, how, how do you think emotionally these people are going to be? If it was my kid who'd never been able to see and now can see a sunrise and the moon and all that kind of stuff, I'd be like, thank you, God. This is the greatest thing that's happened to my child. He can see now. You'd think the parents will be over the moon excited about this. But see how they react. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one uh, you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son. The parents answered, this is the guy. And we know that he was born blind. But how can he see now or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. He was blind. He can see now. We're not sure how that happened. Ask him yourselves. All right. Let's keep going. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. It should be the greatest day in the parents' lives. They should be celebrating. But they're scared to death. Why are they scared to death? Because they're religious leaders, like they're priests, like me, like pastor. Right? They're scared that the, the, that the religious people are not going to like it. They're going to think it's not from God and that they're going to cast this family out and they'll be on their own, right? They'll be cast out from their society, all that kind of stuff. And so the greatest day of their life, what should be the greatest day of their life, or at least one of them, they're living in fear because the so-called people of God are going to cast them out. Isn't that, isn't that heartbreaking? You would think that your pastors would celebrate and say, praise God, he can see. But they are scared to death. They can't even celebrate that their son can see again. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. They cannot see that Jesus is God even when the evidence is right in front of them. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I'm not sure who he is, but he healed me, right? Pretty cool guy. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen, right? Not only can they not see, they can't hear, evidently, right? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too, right? I think he's a smart aleck. That's pretty beautiful, isn't it? Do you want to join Jesus? Okay, right? That's how I read it anyway. I don't know. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Right? They're mad at him. You want to follow Jesus? We follow Moses, the one that God gave the religious laws to, the 613 commands. We're going to follow them. One of them is don't do work on the Sabbath. Jesus can't be from God. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. The blind man, formerly blind man, said, this guy has got to be from God because people who are not from God can't do this. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the man knows that 
Jesus is from God. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? We're the religious scholars. We're the the professional pastors. Don't talk to us about who God is. And they threw him out. So the fears of his parents came true. For him, he's cast out of the society. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a big title for Jesus, for the Messiah, right? Son of God. This is a big question to ask the man that was formerly blind. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is a powerful verse. Not only has Jesus restored his physical sight, But Jesus has also healed him spiritually. He can see physically and he can see spiritually. He can see what the religious leaders can't see. He can see God standing in front of him. So this man has a double miracle. He is healed physically and he can see spiritually. What about the Pharisees? Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. So don't miss what's happening here. Jesus heals a man that was blind his whole life so that now he can see with his physical eyes and he can see with his spiritual eyes. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day who could see with their physical eyes are blind spiritually. And not only are they blind spiritually, but they doubled down on it. They doubled down and said, you're darn right we don't believe in your, that you're a God. Right? It's powerful stuff, right, as we think about this. When you think about the Bible, what really is hard for me to deal with as a professional pastor, as a professional person of God, a follower of God, a pastor, a, a, a reverend, is that the people that Jesus gets into conflict with in the Bible, who is that? It's not the prostitutes. It's not the tax collectors. It's not the Gentiles. It's not the Samaritans. It's not all the bad people in the culture. Who is it with? The followers of God. The religious people. The ones who claim to see God, but really don't see or understand God. So as followers... Of God, we've got to be careful about how we see God and how we represent God to the world. I want to read a couple of quotes from Richard Rohr today. Uh, He says that human culture is in a mass hypnotic trance. We're sleepwalkers. All religious teachers have recognized that we human beings do not naturally see, right? Not like physically, but like the way that the world really is. We have to be taught to see. That's what religion is for. Let's leave this up for a second, right? So when we go about life, right, the rat race, getting up, making money, doing our thing, right, what Richard Rohr is saying is that there's more to life than meets the eye, that God is real, that spiritual things are real, that good and evil are real, and the role of religion is to be good. It's to help people see what really the world is about, right? grace and salvation and forgiveness and good and evil and through 
there's, there's more to the world than making money and buying stuff. And so that's what the role of religion. Richard Rohr says, and this, I think this is pretty powerful, all religious teachers have recognized that. I'm not sure that we can really say all of us have done that, but he's optimistic, right? The word religion, if you break it down, the re means again. Uh, and the legio comes from the word lego, which means to read. So it means to reread. It means that we're supposed to look at the world with fresh eyes. Right? There's more to the world than meets the eye. And religion is the goal of following God is to help see the world as God created it. Right? So that's the role. And so there's a lot of goodness in religion. Right? We are at church. We come and we do all these quote-unquote religious things, and there's lots of good that churches do and followers of Jesus do in the world. There's a lot of that. But Richard Rohr also says this about religion, thinking about the Pharisees in Jesus' day and modern-day Pharisees. Right? Religion also has tended to create people who think that they have God in their pockets, people with quick, easy, glib answers. So religion is supposed to help people see, but sometimes we get religion twisted and we put God in our pockets and we give simple answers. The man, can't, the man can't be seen because Jesus healed him. Something else is going on here, right? We just, this is not of God, right? So how do we have God in our pockets? What does that mean? It means rather than us being created in the image of God, we try to reflect God's nature. A lot of times we create God in our image uh, and we try to make God support us. So having God in our pockets means, um, maybe you can ask yourself the question, have I ever, does, does God agree with everything that I think, right? Having God in my pocket means that God's on my side. Whatever I think, God agrees with. Whatever my opinion is, God supports that. My politics, God is on my side, right? Instead of trying to find out what God wants, we take what we want and then just kind of rubber stamp and say, well, God must agree with me, right? So instead of seeing God as who God is, we co-opt God to support us. Why do you think that we have things like Holocaust and concentration camps and apartheid and enslavement and lynchings? Um, why did all those things happen? Because um, a lot of Christians supported that. How can a follower of God enslave another human being? How can a follower of God lynch another human being? How can a follower of God create a system of apartheid? How can a follower of God support concentration camps? But if you go back and look in your history, followers of God have screwed up a lot of stuff and hurt a lot of people in the name of God. And we say that God is on our side, right? I'm doing this to the other person because God looks like me and thinks like me and acts like me and approves everything that I do. And so... We act in the name of God in ways that disgust God. And so as followers of Jesus, we have to be careful. Have we co-opted God to look like us, or are we trying to look like who God is? Do we create God in our image, or do God create us in God's image? Does that make sense? A lot of followers of Jesus, we get it wrong because we become selfish, and we start to see God through a very small lens, a lens that looks just like us. God likes people that look like me or think like me or act like me or vote like me or live where I am. And we justify things. I have more resources than I need. Why people over here don't have anything? That's because God's with me, not with them. That's what Jesus is warning us against. So how do we fight this? How do we really see who God is? How do we see the blind sides in our lives? I want to think about that for a minute, right? Do we co-opt God? How do we, how do we, how do we become self-aware of that? Unfortunately, 
the major way that gets us out of this funk is that we have to go through some discomfort, some, uh, some um, suffering, or some tragedy in our lives. Right? We, we have to go through a crisis, usually, to wake us up, to realize that, hey, I'm not in control. I'm not right about everything. That there are people in the world who were suffering, and I've never suffered before, but now I can understand what it means to suffer. Right? Until we are in a crisis or something we're struggling with happens in our lives, right? then we, it, it, those situations help humble us. They help us have sympathy for other people. Right? If you've never suffered, you've never been persecuted, never had anything bad happen to you, then you don't care when it happens to someone else. But when it happens to you, then you can begin to think, wow, this is terrible. I feel bad. I, I don't want anyone to feel like this. There's people in my life who feel like this every day. I need to wake up and realize that I'm not seeing the world as it truly is. So if you're going through a crisis right now, I'm not saying that God caused that, but God could use that maybe to teach us some humility. God could use us teach us some sympathy, some empathy. Jesus talks about a sign of God. He, he uses the word, the sign of Jonah. You remember Jonah in the Old Testament? Jonah was the guy that God wanted to go and preach to his enemies. And Jonah said, no way. I'm not going to preach to my enemies because they might listen to me and you might forgive them. And I don't think they deserve to be forgiven, God. And so Jonah ran from God. You know what happened to Jonah? Right? The big fish swallowed him up, right? The big, you probably learned that in Sunday school or whatever, right? The big whale, whatever. Right? So Jonah's in the belly of the fish. And people ask Jesus for a sign from God. He said, your sign from God is a sign of Jonah. Right? Sometimes we have to be in the belly of the whale to learn who we are and who God is before that whale spits us back out. And so if you're going through a hard time right now, again, I don't think God's causing it, but God might be able to use it to help us learn some humility and some sympathy uh, and to sit in that, that situation and saying, God, I can't do this. I need your help. I need to know who you really are. I need to be aware that there are other people who are suffering like me or maybe worse than me, and I need to be more sympathetic to them rather than thinking, oh, God's only in it for me, right? So that's one way that we can become self-aware. Another way is that we just simply ask it. God, show me who you are. If I have a blind spot, God, help me. I, I don't want to be like a Pharisee in the Gospel of John. If, if someone sees and you heal them, I want to I celebrate that. I don't want to cause fear in people's lives. And so uh, a big part of self-awareness is us saying, there might be some blind spots in my life, and I need someone to help me. God, here's my heart. I'm pouring it out. Help me. Another way to become self-aware is to talk to people that know you really well and can tell you the truth. Right? Am I missing something in my relationship? Am I missing something in, in being a colleague at work? Am, am I missing something in being a member of this staff? Am, am I missing something in my relationship with God? Especially to people in your life that love you and have the gift of spiritual discernment. You know, you know I love you, but I don't know if God wants you to spend your money in the way that you've been spending it. I love you, but I don't know that God wants you to spend your time watching some of the things that you're watching on the Internet. Right? Sometimes we say, oh, God, God doesn't care if I do that. Right? Who are the people in your life that know you and know God and can maybe help you see some blind spots? Now, that's going to hurt um, initially, but if they love you, they're going to help deliver that message in a loving, helpful kind of a way. What blind spots might we have in our lives? Um, something to think about. So, What's the big idea today? What's the point? This is what, what I think it is. I think we all have a blind spot, and it's shaped exactly like us. We're the big blind spot, right? 
What gets in between us and other people? What gets in between us and God? Us. Right? We want God to be on our side, approve everything that we, that we do. That God thinks like me, acts like me. God just is in it for me. But it's not just about us. Right? So we all have a blind spot, uh, and it looks exactly like us. So what do we do about that? I'm going to show you a couple things uh, a little bit more in depth than I usually get. So uh, you might want to get your phones out and your cameras uh, and just take some pictures of this stuff and, and take it home with you later and, and deal with this. I hope, you know, maybe take a snapshot of one or two. Uh, I hope this is helpful to you, right? So as we think about how do we get rid of that blind spot so we can see God as God is. Like the Pharisees didn't see God. They claimed to see God. They thought they were the leaders, but they were not. They didn't see God when he healed someone right in front of them, right? What could we be missing as followers of Jesus? Action step number one, how do I have God in my pocket? Do I think that God shares every opinion that I have, that God is only out for people who look like me or make as much money as me or live in the neighborhood that I live in or speak the language that I speak or live in America, right? If you're going through a hard time right now, what lessons might God be able to teach you about humility uh, or crying out to God for help uh, or figuring out something that we need to figure out. Who are the people that God puts in your life to help you see your blind spots? Who could speak the truth to you in a loving way to, to help you see that? How do you have God in your pocket? How have you created God in your image rather than being created in God's image? How are we more like the Pharisees than we were the man who was born blind? Okay, so the second thing, uh, is to practice awareness. One thing that we're doing as part of this sermon series is every message I'm going to have one spiritual practice that you can go home and do, and hopefully it'll help you begin to see God in a different light. Uh, so today, as we think about seeing God clearly, I think we need to practice looking in our lives. And so before we even look to God, I want us to, to practice looking at everyday things in a different light. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. Right, so to practice awareness, I want you to pick out one single object in your life with your senses. It could be a tree, it could be a flower, it could be a puppy. Right, I'm going to choose puppy. I like puppies. Right, so do that and use your senses. What do I see? What can I touch? What can I smell? Be careful what you taste, you know. Um, but uh, so focus on something with your senses, trying to see it as if you've seen it for the very first time in your life. Focus on it until you stop having any feelings about it. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Don't have any other concerns. This dog might bite me. Right? Uh, this tree limb might fall on me. All right, let's keep going. Choose not to judge whatever you're looking at. Choose not to attach to it. Reject it as meaningless. Like it or dislike it. Just try to look at it for what it is. Right? Listen to the object and allow it to speak to you. Right? Speak back to it with respect and curiosity. Why did God create this dog? Why did God create this flower? Why did God create this tree? What's the purpose, right? Take a step back from you yourself and ask these questions. Learn how to appreciate and respect things in and for themselves, not because they benefit or threaten you, right? That last little bit is the important part. Why do dogs exist outside of you? Why do trees exist outside of you? And I know this sounds touchy-feely, blah, blah, blah. But how many things in our lives do we walk past every day and we don't really see them? If we don't pay attention to the things in our lives, how are we going to see God? Right. All right, so a couple of quotes from Richard Rohr about this. This should lead to a kind of subtle, simple joy. Hey, there's some joy in looking at a dog. There's some joy in looking at a tree. In the object and within yourself. 
and to a calmness in your body and mind. This can be a calming thing. You should experience a contented spaciousness and silence. It's a form of non-dual consciousness, right? Dualistic means me versus something else, okay? There's no me versus the object kind of a thing. The concrete loving consciousness of one thing leads to pure consciousness of what many call object, objectless consciousness of all things. We can appreciate one thing, we can appreciate other things and how they're connected. It will feel like your movie screen just widened considerably. I love that, right? You're going to start to see things in a different light and you're going you're to have a richer experience of life. Uh, all right, so we have how do I have God in my pocket, practice awareness. And the third one, my kids are going to love, watch some YouTube, um, specific YouTube here. If you guys watch, anybody watch Super Bowl last week? Anybody watch Super Bowl? It's hard for me to see. Let's go who? Niners? Uh, maybe next year. Okay. Um, watch the Super Bowl, a lot of commercials. There was a very controversial commercial about Jesus. Did y'all see that? It's about washing feet. Right, and so it showed this video of all kinds of um, people washing feet that you, that you could say is very political. Like every major political issue that's going on right now was in this commercial. Right, so there was um, a woman protesting at an abortion clinic, washing the feet of a woman who was there to get an abortion. There's a police officer who's washing the feet of an African American man. There's a cowboy washing the feet of a Native American. There's a popular girl washing the feet of a girl in school who's like punk rock. Um, there's uh, a priest who's washing the feet of someone who's clearly transgender. Uh, and so this commercial was received in many different ways. Some people thought it was beautiful and totally true to Scripture. Uh, and some people think that it's sacrilegious and we shouldn't have seen that on television. And so uh, one of your uh, homework assignments, if you choose to accept it, is to go watch this thing for yourself and see what you think. How would the Jesus that we read in John 9 today think about this commercial? How would the Pharisees think about this commercial? How would the blind man think about this commercial? So I want to give you some tools to do that. First is, first of all, read John 13, 1 through 17 in the Bible. That's where Jesus washes feet. He washes his disciples' feet, 12 disciples. Those disciples are, are his good friends. They do some really good things. They also do some things that Jesus probably doesn't approve of. They're going to run away when he gets arrested. Peter, like the number one disciple, is going to deny knowing Jesus three times. I don't even know this guy. Judas is going to sell Jesus out so that he gets executed, right? Why do you think Jesus washed their feet? There's some good in them. There's some bad in them. Why would Jesus wash Judas's feet knowing what Judas is going to do? All right? So read that. See what it says about foot washing. Take a picture of this. This is a QR code that will take you to the commercial, okay? So you can go home and watch that yourself. I want you to watch this with somebody and discuss it with somebody. Uh, and if you take a picture of that QR code, you, you can't use the picture to get there. So you're going to need someone else's phone to do that, right? That's intentional. I want two people to be doing this together. So that's the QR code for the video. And this next one, uh, it'll take you to a YouTube video uh, that has um, a breakdown of it. So... It has the pros and cons of why people like it, why people don't like it, and read the comments on both these videos and see what you think. Again, some people love it, some people hate it. Um, where do you see Jesus in this? This is a great way to say, where are my blind spots? What does Jesus think about this? What do the Pharisees think about it? 
Okay, so go home and do that with somebody. But right now, I do want to show you the commercial. Okay, so let's watch this and just see what you feel, right? This is your object lesson of the day. How do you feel? What's it saying to you? What are you going to say back to it? Let's watch the commercial. That's powerful. It is so powerful. So again, go home, watch it again, talk about it with someone, read what the scripture says. Where do you see Jesus in this commercial? We see that as a positive thing or a negative thing. I think it's powerful. I think it's scriptural. I think there's sort of something to it. Uh, another quote from Richard Rohr about seeing God. When we can see the image of God where we don't want to see the image of God in people who are different, in people that we might not even can stand, then we see with eyes not our own, meaning God's eyes. When we can see the image of God where we don't want to see the image of God in people who are different, who we might hate, then we see with eyes not our own. Think and pray about that. Brothers and sisters, we want to see God. Pharisees wanted to see God. We all have blind spots. But the good news about blind spots, just like when we're driving in a car, is you can find out where it is and you can do something about it. Jesus is in your life, and he's ready to be seen. What's stopping you from seeing Jesus? And what are you going to do about it? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. To those of you